Good evening and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us tonight for the Thursday night Parsha class, Mining the Riches of the Parsha. This week's portion is the Parsha of Akev. One of the most significant efforts in my life is my involvement with an organization named DESK, which stands for Downtown Evening Soup Kitchen. In 1987, we moved to New Haven, Connecticut. I was the rabbi of the Young Israel of New Haven Synagogue, and I was also the rabbi of Young Israel House at Yale, which was the Orthodox student organization at Yale University, and it was the Kosher Kitchen, and it was usually called the Kosher Kitchen. In the late 80s, in New Haven, there was a lot of poverty, as there still is, but there was a lot of poverty, a lot of homelessness, and several churches downtown got together and they would rotate using their locations for as a soup kitchen, one night at this church, one night at that, Monday night here, Tuesday night there, Wednesday night there, and it was an organization of five churches called Downtown Evening Soup Kitchen Desk. And the problem that they had is no one had space for them on Sunday night because Sunday night the churches are busy. They're full. So there was no place to hold a soup kitchen on Sunday night. Well, the Young Israel House at Yale, the Yale Kosher Kitchen, we did not serve dinner on Sunday nights. We were a kitchen, a kosher kitchen, we're a kitchen, and on Sunday nights, our space was available. So we joined Desk, and it was five churches and one kosher kitchen. Five churches and us. It was a magnificent, transformative experience, a major, major effort in my life. Now, when we started, the director was a man named Brother Dennis. Unfortunately, he has since passed away. Brother Dennis was a monk. He wore a long monk uh, habit with a uh, rope belt and a large cross. And we worked together. We were friends. And walking around together, downtown New Haven, we were kind of an odd couple. Later, I remained involved. Later, I was actually the president of this organization and involved in many other ways. But on that first Sunday night that we started, the first Sunday night, so a crowd was gathering. They were lining up, getting ready to come in. And Dennis was always very respectful, very sensitive. So Dennis said to me, he said, in our faith, we say a blessing before we eat. Is it okay? Would you be willing to say a blessing tonight before we start eating in the kosher kitchen? So I said, Dennis, 
of course it's okay. I said, Dennis, that was our idea. We have been making blessings before eating food for a thousand years before your religion was even created. Of course it's okay. So that is known as the bracha rishona, the blessing before eating. And that is a practice that is shared by many faiths. Many faiths have some type of a blessing or an invocation before eating. Okay. What is unique to Judaism is the bracha achrona, blessing after eating. And that is what has its source in our Parsha. So I'm in the Stone Chumash on page 984. If you have it, page 984. If you do not have it, don't worry because I'm going to read it. Famous Pasik, top of the page, Pasik number Yud, first line, Ve'achalta, Ve'savata, Uve'rakta, Hashem Elokecha. You will eat, you'll be satisfied, and you will bless the Lord your God. Okay? That is what we know of as birchas amazon, the grace after the meals, or some people call it benching. The word bench is a Yiddish word for blessing. So tonight I'm just going to use the term benching because it's a common phrase. And after a meal that includes bread, we say the benching. You will notice, though, that the bracha after eating is much longer than the bracha before. The bracha before a meal with bread is Blessed are you God who brings forth bread from the land. That's it. After benching, it's after after eating, it's the, the benching, it's several pages long. It takes five, six, seven minutes to say. Given that we do both, why is there such an emphasis on the blessing after eating vis-a-vis the blessing before eating? So the answer, or an answer that I want to share with you, is within the context of the verses in which this mitzvah appears. The context is our parsha. Akev, like most of the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Torah, is a series of speeches that Moshe is giving to the Jewish people at the end of the 40 years in the desert, and mostly he is reviewing the experiences of the Jewish people during the desert. And he says to them, so now on page one, I'm on page 982, near the middle of the page, Pasuk number Gimel, in the middle of the Pasuk number 3, right in the middle of the page, He says to them, remember, for the last 40 years, you've been eating man, the manna. It's a food that was never known to you. It was never known to your fathers. What was the purpose of the man? Well, remember the detail from earlier in the Torah, the way the system worked was that every morning you could go out and you could collect this food, this manna, this man, and bring it home for yourself and your family, and you could eat it, but you could not keep it over to the next day. You could not save it up. Every day you had to go out and get fresh, except for Friday, when you could collect a double portion for Friday and for Shabbos. But otherwise, you couldn't collect. Why? Why was that detail important? 
Laman hodiacha. I'm continuing reading the pasuk. In order for you to learn, ki lo levado because man does not live by bread alone, ki al kol because man lives based on God's word. And therefore, this system was intended to make sure that you recognize that everything you have comes from God, that we are dependent upon God. Not only your food, but your clothing did not wear out during the 40 years. <coughs> and then the Torah says as follows, V'shamarta be careful to guard observing all of the mitzvahs God has commanded you because we're coming to a change. Because we're coming to a new era. Because God is now bringing you to a new land. This is the end of the 40 years. They're going to cross over into the Jordan River and they're going to be able to enter the land of Israel. Once they get into the land of Israel, there's a complete um, transformation because Eretz Nachalaymayim, Ayonosusahomos, Yotzimabivikar. It's a land with uh, rivers and uh, streams and springs, underwater springs, and you're going to plant and you're going to harvest and you're going to eat your own stuff. While you're in the desert eating the mun, you have a daily reminder that everything comes from God and that we have to thank God every day for what we have. Because if God, for some reason, would not provide it in the morning, we would have nothing. It was impossible to take for granted the food that they had during the desert because they knew intuitively if God didn't provide it, it wouldn't be there. But then we transition to Israel. No more man. You're going to plant this food. You're going to grow it. You're going to harvest it. And when you finish eating the food that you have grown yourself in Israel, ve'achalta, and you shall eat. This is the next Pasuk, top of the page 984, Pasuk Yud, ve'achalta, and when you eat, Visavata, and when you are satisfied, when you are full and satisfied of the food that you have grown yourself, that is the moment you are in the greatest danger of taking what you have for granted. That's the moment in which you are in the greatest danger of forgetting God. I don't need anything. I'm full. I'm satisfied. I don't need God. I can take care of myself by myself. And so it is specifically and precisely at that moment when it will come a time that you might have the greatest danger to forget God, to lack an expression of gratitude to God. At that moment, the Pesach says, When you eat and when you're satisfied, And you shall bless the Lord your God. For the good land that He has given you. Remember, don't take it for granted. 
thank God for all that you have. Especially at the moment when you are most likely to forget. Rabbi Harold Schulweis once wrote, Some attribute the saying to Santiana, others to Einstein. We cannot know who first discovered water, but we can be sure it was not the fish. Why not the fish? Because water is all around them. They breathe it. They taste it. They swim in it. For them, water is too obvious to be noticed. Could it be that only when they are caught in the fisherman's net, trembling, gasping for air, the revelation occurs to them? Before we eat, we're hungry. We're trembling. We're grasping for air. It's obvious that we must say a bracha and ask God for permission to take what exists in this world and to say thank you to God. And it is so obvious a short blessing suffices. But after we eat, we lack nothing. What we have is too obvious to be noticed that it's coming from God. And that's when we have to try harder. We need a longer blessing to make sure that we do not forget. That's the reason for the emphasis on the blessing after eating, whereas the blessing before eating is very short. But then, our rabbis brilliantly take this one step further. <clears throat> there is a curious detail of this mitzvah, this commandment, v'achalta, v'savata, uverachta, the obligation to bench, to say the grace after meals, after a meal with bread. And of course, you know, we have the whole system. There are other uh, blessings that we make after other foods. Each food has its own blessing before and its own long blessing after. Okay. Curious detail. One more time. The Pasuk says, famous, we're all familiar with this, Ve'achalta, and you shall eat, Ve'savata, and you shall be satisfied, Uverachta, and you shall bless the Lord your God. Let me ask you a question. What if you eat, Ve'achalta, what if you eat, but you're not full? You're not satisfied. If you're not satisfied, but you, but you didn't fulfill the savata, you're not satisfied, there's no obligation to bench. And on the level of the biblical law, that is correct. No mitzvah. Because you're not satisfied. Only if you're full, only if you're satisfied, is there a mitzvah. Came along our rabbis, and they legislated a rabbinic decree. Uverachta, you must bless God, afilu kazayas, 
even if the amount that you have eaten is the size of a zayas. A zayas is an olive. How much? It's like small, like, all right, a little bit smaller than a golf ball. If, if you ate only that, you still have to say the benching. The whole Birkas Hamazan, all the whole text. You have to say the whole thing, not on the biblical level, but on the rabbinic level. So the result of this legislation is there's more benching in the world. Not only everyone who eats enough to be full is going to say the benching, but even those who eat a smaller amount, even as much as a kazayas, they will also say the benching. Okay, so as a result of the rabbi's legislation, there's a little bit more benching going on in the world. Fine. But then there is a statement in the Talmud. It's just outrageous. The Talmud says, Masech Brachos, 20b. The Talmud says, the Talmud first quotes the angels, the Malachi Ashares, the angels of God. The angels come to God and they complain. Master of the universe, why do you have such extraordinary love and compassion for the Jewish people? First of all, come on. I mean, we need a little extra love. You know, why are you complaining? We're getting a little extra love. But the Malachi Asharis, the angels, they question God. Why do you have such extraordinary unnecessary, uncalled for love and compassion for Israel. Amr Lehem. The Talmud records that God answers them and said as follows. Is it not obvious why I have to have extraordinary love and compassion for Israel? It's obvious. Because I wrote in my Torah that if you eat and you are satisfied, then you have to bless. I only commanded the Jewish people that if you eat and you're satisfied, that's when you have to bless. But they came along and on their own legislated for themselves even if they have a small piece the size of an olive, they're still going to bless me. How could I not have extraordinary love and mercy for such a people? Okay. That's the, that's the passage in the Talmud. That is very hard to understand. I mean, come on. Of all the mitzvahs that we do, all the sacrifices we make for God, this is the one, this is it. This is the one that causes the extra love and compassion. I mean, if it was up to me, I, it's a lot harder for me to fast on Yom Kippur than it is to say benching a couple of extra times. I mean, if somebody would give me that deal, I would take it. You can eat on Yom Kippur, just bench three or four more times. I, I, I would take that deal. That's not being offered. This, God is so impressed with this that we bench a little bit more often than really have to according to the Torah's laws? So I want to show you something. 
And I want you to look at this, please. And I'm going to refer back to it a little bit later. Are you able to see? Okay. Just look at that for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, as you're looking at this image, where does your eye go? Just ask yourself, where does your eye go? In 1927, Dr. Bluma Zegarnik published research that demonstrated that most people focus on the space at the top, the open space at the top. Is that what you did? Okay. You don't have to tell me the answer. You're on mute. You don't have to tell me the answer. And this became known as the Zagarnik effect. And the Zagarnik effect means that the human brain is programmed to finish, to focus on the unfinished part. So you have the line like this, but then there's the open part. The, our brain is, is, is programmed to focus on the unfinished part. And that is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because our brain is a problem-solving machine. Every day, from the moment that we open our eyes in the morning until the moment we close them at night, our brain is looking for what is missing, what needs to be fixed. It is marvelous. The curse is, because of that, usually our brain will not allow us to see the line that is there. Our brain won't allow us to focus on feeling satisfied, feeling complete, because it's busy with the deficiency, it's busy with the gap, it's busy with what's missing. So it prevents us, uh, it's our brain that prevents us from feeling complete or satisfied. Okay, so the original mitzvah in the Torah of benching works when all the terms are there. Ve'achalta, if you eat. Ve'savata, and you're satisfied. And everything is perfect. And I'm full. And I'm not lacking anything. And the circle is whole. And there's no gap. And nothing is missing. Then I can be happy. Then I can be grateful. Then I can bless God and be grateful and appreciate what I have because I have everything that I need. Nothing is missing. The problem is that really doesn't help us with life because life usually is not like that. And the genius of our rabbis, absolutely brilliant, 
the genius of our rabbis in their legislation is to meet us where we usually are in life. Where are we usually in life? We ate a kazayas, but we're still hungry. Some needs are met, but other needs are not met. Something is wrong. The circle is incomplete. Life is hard sometimes. And remember, the Zygarnik effect, where is our brain programmed to function almost all of the time for us? Because almost all of the time, things are not perfect. There is always, almost always a gap somewhere, something missing. So the Zygarnik effect shows us, teaches us, where is our brain focused, programmed to focus? On the gap, on what's missing, which is why it's so difficult for us to feel satisfied, to feel grateful, because our brains are busy focusing on what's missing. But our rabbis identified a strategy to outsmart our brain. They tell us, our rabbis tell us, to consciously focus on the part that is there, the line. That's what they mean. Say the benching, even if you're still hungry, but you did eat something. So say thank you for what you ate. Focus on the line consciously. Focus on the line that is there. And here's the point and the brilliance of the rabbi's legislation. You can train yourself to not always focus on the deficiency, but on what is good, what is there. And when you do so, it will transform your life. It will make you into a different person. And I think many of us can recognize, maybe not in ourselves, but in someone else, we can recognize a person who always finds fault. And we can recognize a person who always is looking for what's good, always looking about what they can praise, always looking for what they can say thank you about. Now, without revealing any names or pointing any fingers anywhere. Just ask yourself, who would you rather be around? And then ask yourself the next question, who would you rather be? Not only that, but our rabbis show us that this works. Our rabbis demonstrate to us that this works by building this lesson into the text of the benching. This is remarkable. Think about the benching. First paragraph of the benching, who knows saying, Lechem l'chol basar, God gives bread, food, to every living creature. Baruch Hashem, blessed are you, God, hazan asakol, you sustain everyone, you provide, you give food. That makes perfect sense. First paragraph of the benching, we thank God for the food that we have eaten and enjoyed. That paragraph makes perfect sense. 
Then we have a second paragraph. Second paragraph is very strange. Second paragraph starts like this. And I want to thank you, God, for... And then we list a series of unrelated gifts that God has given us. All of a sudden, the second paragraph of benching, we want to thank God for the land of Israel, from the exodus from Egypt, for brismila, ritual circumcision. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, we're at the table, we're eating. But uh, brismila, receiving the Torah. How is any of this relevant to eating? What is this second paragraph doing here? The answer is very simple and it's very profound. Remember the image I showed you. Remember the image <clears throat> and the Zagarnik effect. If you focus on the line and not on the gap, right? That's what our rabbis want us to do, to focus on the line, even if there is a gap, to focus on the line. If you focus on the line and not on the gap, you will see the line. And you will appreciate what's there. This legislation is not just about eating. It's a, about a way of living. It's about a way of looking at the world, looking for reasons to be grateful, looking for reasons to be happy. All too often, people sit back and they wait for a reason to be grateful to come and hit them in the head or a reason to be happy to come and hit them in the head. And then they wonder, how come I'm not getting hit in the head? And then when they get hit in the head, they complain, why did I get hit in the head? It's a completely different way of living if you are looking for reasons to be grateful. And by the way, I'm only sharing one example with you, this subject about benching, but there are numerous other areas in Jewish life, ritual Jewish life and uh, practical Jewish life that express this lesson as well. And I've shared some of these with you in the past in other contexts. But once you have that outlook, you'll keep finding it. If you look for even one reason to be grateful, to appreciate what you have, you will easily find four more. The rabbis, in their legislation, requiring benching, even for a kazayas, they are giving us a strategy for having reasons to thank God constantly, even when there are aspects that we're missing. So God says to us in the Torah, my children, if you eat and you're satisfied, God says, if I've given you food to eat and you're full and I've given you something complete and you're satisfied and everything is good, God says to us, then I'm telling you, you should say a blessing. You should thank me for it because you have everything that you need. And we, God's children, say to God, even if you only give us a kazayas, even if when we finish eating, we're still hungry, 
even if we legitimately have reason to focus on what is missing, we will still look for, and if we look for, we will find the reasons to thank you for what we have. That's the significance of the rabbi saying, Uve rachta afilu even if you ate the size of an olive. How could God not have extraordinary love and compassion for us when we respond to God in that way? And how could we not endear ourselves to others when we take the same approach to them, to our spouse, our child, our parent, our friend, look for one good thing. Look for one reason to express your affection or your gratitude or your approval. Just look for one. And I promise you, you will find at least five more. That's the lesson the rabbis are teaching us in this detail of the benching. It's not just about food. It's about life. It's about being able to appreciate what we have, being able to express gratitude, even when it's not perfect. But that means you have to look for it. And once you look for it, you are certain to find it. My friends, thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be with you tonight. I want to wish everyone a wonderful evening, a fantastic Shabbos, and I look forward to seeing all of you soon in 